You're listening to XVGM Radio. to XVGM Radio, where the bits keep coming. I'm Justin. I'm Mike. And this is episode 8, Dat Sunsoft Bass. Also, Mr. Gimmick and the FME 7 chip. Dat Sunsoft Bass. We're going to be diving deep into the Sunsoft FME-7 chip, also known as the Sunsoft 5B. Uh, this is going to be a, a very heavy, detailed episode regarding the origin of the chip, as well as uh, what the chip is used for, and also we're going to be, you know, talking about Mr. Gimmick, which is a fantastic NES game, which never came out here in North America. It came out in 1992 in Japan and Scandinavia. Scandinavia. Of all places, (laughs) why Scandinavia, I do not know. So a lot of the information that we got from this episode was kind of all over the internet, but uh, I wanted to highlight specifically a YouTube channel which I discovered as well as a website which is really informative and gives you a really simple breakdown and understanding of what this chip does as well as like the whole Dat Sunsoft base thing. Yeah. The channel is Explode2A03. Uh, you could also check out more information at retrogameaudio.tumblr.com. Just wanted to give the appropriate information out there so that way everybody knows that we got the information from you know these sources if you're interested in diving deeper. Right, right. And if you want to read more about it, you can go there. Otherwise, we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit uh, later on. Yeah. So the track that we came in on there was called Good Morning Introduction, and that was obviously on the 1992 release of this Mr. Gimmick game. All of the songs that we're going to listen to are going to be from the same game, from the same release. Right. All composed by Masashi Kageyama, with sound programming done by Naohisa Morota. Uh, yep. We'll talk more on them later. Yeah, the, we're going to be spreading out all the information throughout this episode, so that way we're not overloading the intro, we're just going to kind of baby bird feed it to you, which means that I'm going to chew it up, and then I'm going to give it to Justin, he's going to chew it up, and then he's going to give it to you guys, so... Gross. Yeah. (laughs) You mean awesome. So, Mm. uh, tell me a little bit about the story on Mr. Gimmick. So, the story is about 
Yumitaro, who is a brand new toy that is given to a little girl by her father. Aww. Yeah, it's very cute. Unfortunately, the rest of her toys get jealous of how much she likes her new toy, and they decide that the solution is to take her to an alternate dimension. Of course. Away from Yumitaro. Right. Um, leaving him behind alone in the real world. Mm -hmm. So there are six stages with six bosses. And beating the game doesn't necessarily mean you win because you don't necessarily get the true ending unless right. you have other like, stuff. It's like ghouls and ghosts. Exactly. Right. So the true ending is achieved by finding the magic items that are hidden throughout the stages. Every stage has a hidden area with a magic item, and you can't use any continues. Right. So you have infinite continues in this game, but if you use even one, you will not get the true ending. <laughs> That's brutal. But this, uh, this unlocks a secret stage and boss and reveals the true ending of the game. So, yeah, this game is difficult for that very reason as far as like if you want to get the whole game but honestly this game is is difficult for even the most seasoned yeah. of for the mechanical reasons yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's a really interesting game the mechanics and physics of it are really uh, well thought out it's a it's a very well developed game by sunsoft so mm. uh you know we'll talk a little bit more about the development of the game and the music and everything so why don't we uh talk a little bit about the song itself though good morning oh, introduction yeah. what uh, what do you think of it calm relaxing Soothing. intro song mm. yeah it uh doesn't really prepare you for the violence that no there's not really any <laughs> violence but uh it it's not what i would have expected for because this plays during the opening cinematic in the game right right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so like, pretty much it's just it's really it's a really nice song mm -hmm. um, yeah the, it's a good way to introduce the game yes you know as far as the story goes because you've got this cutscene where this you know it's all done in you know not quite ninja gaiden-esque cutscenes but uh cutscenes that showcase you know the little girl getting the gift mm -hmm. and then you know her bedroom door closes and all the animals like the stuffed animals or whatever but which are end up being the bad guys in the game are all in a box and Yumitaro is like on the top shelf. shelf yeah so he's like all by himself <laughs> and that's when they decide they're going to send her to an alternate dimension so oh well not not like Dragon Ball Z style though no definitely not no <laughs> it doesn't take the the cutscenes don't take course over like uh, uh, 20 episodes yeah 20 episodes of <laughs> send 20 me to another dimension yes so yeah I, I dig this track it's just really chill and it's a nice track to come in on kind of get you warmed up there's so many different types of styles of music there's pop there's like salsa kind of like mm. big bands like not quite ska but like you know a lot of like uh like funk kind of oriented stuff there's some more jazzy elements mm -hmm. it's it's a really impressive soundtrack overall yeah and uh, the intro track that we came in on is also a very good introduction to that Sunsoft bass. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> dat. I'm sorry. Dat, dat Sunsoft dat. You have to be correct about this. Dat Sunsoft bass. But, you know, it's it's in there and mm -hmm. it's it's very, very nice. And very it, prominent. It, it, yes. And it really holds up the rest of the song from yeah. the bassy area that it comes up from. Definitely. So we'll talk a little bit more about the sound chip and everything as we go through this episode. Right now we're going to get started with our next track, which is Happy Birthday. And it's also known as Stage one.
Welcome back. That was Happy Birthday, Stage 1 from Mr. Gimmick. Happy Birthday! Stage 1! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that was... That was a really bright and bouncy track. I love it. It was it was so much fun. Super uh, happy. Way way different on the NES, <laughs> but super, super saccharine sweet. Yeah, if you see the the level, the level looks like cotton candy. Yeah, <laughs> it's all like pinks and blues. Mm-hmm. So um, I think saccharine sweet is is a perfect way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, there's some underground areas as well that you kind of mm. go through, but even those aren't really like dark or whatever. It's mostly like just pipes. That you can go through, right? But like you start off, and the whole area is like you know bright, bright, bright blue sky and everything. And then once you go underneath, then there's like a like a tube, like a water tube, right? Which yep. I thought was a really nice touch because you've got like those fish that are kind of floating everywhere. Mm. And then oh yeah, yeah, the the the, the actual like underwater part where yep. you're yeah, yeah, you're in the tube. Yep. And then you kind of pop up on the other side. So the whole yep. stage is very well designed as far as like the level layout. So, um, and then there's like, a, also if you go in the clouds there, there's like a hidden area where yep. you can get, I think the, the first, first magic, magic item. item. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So great song. Fantastic. I mean, I just really dig how warm and fuzzy it makes me feel yeah. <laughs> in, on the inside. So it's very sort of tricky considering that the, the game itself is, is it's brightly colored, but mm. it's the, the difficulty. Is the, uh, the, the, through the roof. Yeah. Mm. The the music can be somewhat misleading. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think that as the game goes on, uh, it t- tends to darken up a bit. Mm. There's, I, I feel like this is probably the most like sugary song throughout the entire game. This and like the intro track. So, yeah. you know, they really kind of do a great job of making the music flow very naturally from like a happy-go-lucky kind of thing. And it kind of, you know, ends with a very, like, crazy, like, you know, you'll listen to it later on, like, a very, like, jazz-oriented, like, funk mm. odyssey kind of kind of vibe. So I guess we'll move into our next track, which is Good Weather, and it's also known as Stage 2. And again, by Masashi Kageyama and programmed by Naohisa Morota.
Welcome back. That was Good Weather, also known as Stage 2 from Mr. Gimmick. And that is very fun. Yeah. No, the, the song is great. The game is great. The So the, the level is, it's another outside level, and you go on the water to a boat. And right. I bring that up, I mean, we're going to talk about the level one way or another, but I bring that up because there are bits and parts of this song that make me think of sort of like... Almost Caribbean music, yeah, um, or like you know, being on um, being on like a cruise ship, mm-hmm. and it's just like the little things that were added in there that are just like this is it feels very appropriate. There's parts I agree with you there. there there's parts like the dun dun dun. Yep, it's got a very like salsa kind of vibe to it. Yep. you know, like dun dun dun, very like dancey and bouncy. Like the whole thing is just very memorable. Yeah. Like you can look at the stage and it matches with the music. It's Itself. So, I mean, the first level also kind of has a very similar vibe. Yeah. In that first level, you defeat a lot of enemies that end up looking like the final boss. Um, mm. They look like... Like bob-ombs, li- uh, Yeah, bob I was also going to say they kind of look like tapioca balls. Tapioca balls. Like okay. when you get like a, like a <laughs> what's it called? The bubble tea. Oh, Yeah, okay, they, gotcha, they look like gotcha. the little tappy, sticky balls, the tapioca balls. But they have little eyes. Like yeah. something out of Mario. So it's, it's very <laughs> Mario Kirby-oriented. Even... Yume Taro looks like Kirby, but yeah, like but a green gr- Kirby, like a like a puke green Kirby <laughs> with a horn, like a unicorn horn on his head. Mm. And what's really funny to me is like why this little girl loves this toy. So I I don't get it personally. Like maybe she likes boogers. Maybe she likes boogers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I guess a lot of the enemies are booger-oriented or, like, grossly weird sticky-oriented mm. because that first boss is basically a larger version of those little sticky bomb guys, but he has, like, two little, like, antennae. Right, right. Like, little yellow antennae. Um, those to control the smaller ones, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But then the second level, which we just played the track from, you, as you said, you're on a boat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got these seagulls that are going in the background. It's, like, very, very pretty. Like, graphics here are really yeah. phenomenal. For, I mean, for someone that came towards the end of the NES life cycle, it, it was really well put together visually. The details on the ship, um, and even the enemies, is really, really fairly impressive. The boss, you're talking about the boss of the first level, the boss yeah. of the second level is, uh, appropriately, a like a pirate. He's yeah. a, a pirate toy, he's got a little swashbuckling <laughs> sword, and he runs back and forth at you uh, on a plank. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's really interesting, The where they, they got the ideas for, for some of the characters, just like little toys, like mm-hmm. little you know, pirates, and then you're in a, like a pirate level. Yeah, like the little stuffed animals, and the orange one that you fight in the second one, like you said, he has like a little pirate yep. hat on, yep. he's got the sword, he kind of comes at you, you know, swinging his sword, and you gotta kind of use your attack. So to attack in this game, you have to hold down the B button on the NES controller, and you will form at the tip of your horn a star, right. and then you can throw the star, and the star has these like crazy bouncing mechanics that you can use depending on how you throw the star. And then if you press either up or I, I believe it's you have to press down to cycle through your items because there's these little like potions oh, that you can pick up. Okay, yeah. And so that's how you get different items. Like you can get bomb power ups. You can get like faster like these fast ball power-ups or whatever, like the red, orange, like pinkish yeah. kind of type of things. And then there's an orange power-up that you can get which refills your life, which you desperately need throughout <laughs> the whole game. The way you enable those is you press and hold the up button while you are attacking. So you have to begin to hold down the button while you're pressing up. Mm-hmm. And that that's what triggers the weapons and that's when you can throw the bombs or oh, you know wow. whatever. So that sounds complicated. <laughs> it's a little it's it's simple and it's easy to use, but it's kind of difficult because if you're used to playing games like Mario, for example, 
it it doesn't play like Mario. It also really doesn't play like Kirby either. It's mm. it's it definitely is unique and it's its own thing, if you will. So oh, yeah, yeah. Then we move into after you defeat them. Uh, then we move into our next level, which is level three. So you leave the pirate ship. Then you are in a forest area uh, where you encounter all these different creatures. Uh, they look like furry creatures, like furry happy creatures. Yeah, yeah. And there's I'm some like bouncing looking. rocks and yep. some waterfalls and everything. And then you go underneath into a more cavernous area, and that's when uh, that's when curvature of the earth matters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So what we're going to do is we're going to play Stage 3, and this is Part 1. This is the much longer version of Stage 3. Stage 3 Part 2 is a little shorter, so we're not really going to include that. It's more of just like a, that's when you're in the underground caverns. Right, right. So we're going to include Stage 3 Part 1, which is Slow Illusion. So that's where you're going through the, the foresty area. Yep, with all the animals. Yep. <laughs>
Welcome back. That was Slow Illusion from oh, Stage 3, Part 1. <laughs> Such a chill track. Very chill. In fact, we're halfway through the game, and uh, I'm not seeing these tracks getting any darker, so I... <laughs> Don't worry, it's I need coming. To, yeah, I was going to say, it needs to, needs to pick it up soon. The um, <laughs> stage is in a forest, as mm-hmm. we said during the last break, and it's appropriate based on the waterfalls like the flowing water oh yeah you know yeah, what i mean yeah uh but you you got these uh, notes that really kind of like repeat each other almost like right after one like it's very happy and floaty but at the same time very serene very calming yeah. It, again, I, f- I find the song to be misleading because it, actually it matches up with what's on screen because you have these, what I don't know if like the red pandas or foxes or whatever, what these animals are that they look super happy and they're just jumping around. They're oh, not, in the trees. They're, yeah, they're, mean, not, they're not yeah. enemies. They're just like little happy, jumpy animals. And yeah. then you know they're enemies because if they touch you, you get right. hurt. <laughs> right. And you could, you could stand on a lot oh, of that, the enemies that's in this true. game. So it's not like Mario where like, it's weird. Like the the way the physics work out, it's like if you touch an enemy, meaning like left on the left or right side of you, you get injured. But if you jump on top of them, you can stand on them. So kind yeah. of odd. There are actually parts. Uh, I think I think to get to certain secret areas, uh, you have to use standing on the enemies yep. as a way to get around. Yeah, so. like in stage two, there's a bird that yep. you have to stand on. And he flies away. So yeah, that makes sense. Yep. But this portion of the stage is all very relaxing, very chill. And, you know, that bass line's really starting to heat up as far as, you That's know, yeah. Dats on soft bass. So <laughs> you've got the more grumbly, like, do 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 like repetitive notes that mm-hmm. are kind of, you know, really starting to make the game's sunsoft bass sound kind of come out. Yeah, maybe we should use that as a transition to talk about yes. what makes Dats on Soft Bass Dats on Soft well. Bass. Yes. I definitely didn't plan that. I totally... <laughs> so, the FME-7 sound chip is the chip that we're talking about today in this episode. It's manufactured by Sunsoft for use on the Famicom. Some games that use it are Batman Return of the Joker, Hebereke, Gimmick, and there's a couple others. The FME-7 is a memory mapping circuit. It can also be used in NES carts as well. The way that it works is it it switches uh, the the ROMs program uh, in 8 kilobyte banks, and it allows a switch for the character ROM of 1 kilobyte banks. Uh, It also contains hardware that will create IRQ signals, depending on the number of CPU clock cycles. And what this can do is it can do, like, graphically, like, split-screen effects, like split-screen. Mm, yeah. It does that without using too much processing power. It really keeps it very simple, very easy. Kind of makes it so that the NES doesn't have to work as hard. Um, now, a special version of this MMC chip is called the Sunsoft 5B. The B stands for base. Right. Uh, the the <laughs> FME7 is the actual chip, but the MMC that's created for this specific sound, the Sunsoft sound is like that Sunsoft 5B. Right, right. Yeah, so, (laughs) just to clarify. This contains a version that has been created of the Yamaha YM2149 sound chip, and 
the sound portion of that has only been used in one Famicom title, and that was Gimmick. Right, right, right. right. So uh, we will talk a little bit more in a later break about the YM2149, so obviously stay yep. tuned because we're diving deep into this chip and what it does and everything. So kind of cool. Great track, great stage. You know, as we said before, stage three, part two, we're not playing that one, but it's a very repetitive track that does kind of begin that that dingy, grungy kind of sound that you'll hear. And it's all like an underground cavern. And once you beat the boss for that, then you go to stage four. But before you do stage four, you have to beat the third boss, which is like right. this weird crab dude. It's like a very similar looking boss to the level two's boss, like this the, orange. Oh yeah, the the pirate guy. The pirate guy. He's a crab. Yeah, but he's more like stretched out, and he has like weird, like I don't know, ears. I guess I don't. They're like floppy kind of, and he's got like a horn, like a giant, like pointy horn on his butt, hmm. like almost like a like a snail. Oh, like kind y- of. Yeah, yeah. And so he's climbing up this underground cavern, like platform area and you're essentially supposed to throw your stars at him so that way he falls back into the water so really what you're trying to do is drown him (laughs) like that's that's essentially what's going on so so violent yeah (laughs) looks like janine's telling us we uh we got a call coming in oh okay i wasn't expecting a call let's let's do it up caller you're on the air with xvgm radio you know i can't stand all you guys talking about and you haven't talked about me yet. I'm one of the bosses, and I want to hear a track pertaining to me. So I want to hear Aporia, Boss Theme 1. Uh, sure, you got it. This Boy, that guy sounds salty. Super salty. Must be uh, all that salt water uh, we drowned. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunate. Uh, <laughs> so this is... Masashi Kageyama and Naohisa Morota's soundtrack for... Mr. Gimmick, this is Aporia Boss Theme 1, as requested by that very salty boss crab guy. Yeah.
thank you for continuing to listen. That was Aporia, also known as Boss Theme 1, from 1992's Mr. Gimmick. Great song. Very, very nice. So very good. Very, very rocking. Funky. Uh, Funky, definitely. That that bass loop. So good. So dat sunsoft. Very, very, very that sunsoft. No, no. Very dat sunsoft. There you go. Much sunsoft. Much sunsoft. So bass. So bass. So wild. But even even outside of that bass, the main melody had had a lot of these uh, note runs that sounded like like they should be guitar solos. Yeah, they were very very interesting, very very quick and fast. Yeah, it sounds like something you'd hear out of like a really fast like upbeat jazz fusion type track, kind of mixed yep. with funk, because that's all fusion is is mostly just like take a bunch of different like genres and merge them all in and just make it make it jazz. Yeah. So hence fusion, you're fusing these other styles. Yeah. From what I understand about the soundtrack for this, when Masashi Kageyama was composing, he went around to the different staff members and basically because they all loved music, and I think that was very prominent. Like Sunsoft, they always strove to put the best music in their games mm. for the most. Uh, and some of their composers, like Naoki Kodaka, for example, really kind of uh, made it possible to to have such great soundtracks in their games because of their love of music. So, from what I understand, uh, the staff was asked what type of music do they love hmm. and he took all the requests like some people requested like pop music some people said like acid jazz Ooh. or like you know jazz fusion or hard rock you know that type of stuff you know some of them were fans of like techno some of them were fans of like classical mm-hmm. so you get like a really full variety and range of music that he composed he himself said he was he was trying to be really careful to make sure that writing music that just felt good yeah, you yeah, know? and this is definitely in that ballpark. Yeah, I would, I would say that the stuff we've listened to so far, it definitely makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> makes me feel makes me feel good and warm on warm on the inside. Uh, I mean, no, like especially those first two tracks, they were just very like relaxing and mm-hmm. just easy going, and they were just yeah. Um, and even this, it was a boss theme. It was it was a lot faster, right? A little more hectic, not not as in like it was. It sounded messy, but there was just a lot more going on. Like you said, you had that the bass licks, the the almost guitar solo like runs. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just a lot more happening, and it still felt really good. Yeah, I mean, Kageyama himself has said that the game soundtrack is like a compilation of game music. Mm, so yes, I've heard it that. kind of is like the best of the Famicom, but like kicked up a notch. Like, um, <laughs> what's his name? Emerald Agassi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, I just picture like Kageyama in the studio, just like bam, you know, like. <laughs> Welcome to Flavortown. No, oh, that's the other guy. guy that's Guy Fieri. <laughs> welcome to Music Town? Welcome, welcome to Funky Town. Oh. Boom! So the Sunsoft 5B, uh, it's it's interesting because the Yamaha YM2149, the PSG audio chip, mm-hmm. it provides three additional channels for the music and the sound. And so because of that, the NES version only uses five sound channels. We got a chance to, to play, because I actually have a repro yeah. copy that my friend Paul sent me, uh, and he actually he went in and somehow fixed it so that the sound effects would play instead of like, like they wouldn't get overlapped. Right, right. Um, I forget how he did it. He made this fantastic video which he unfortunately took down off of YouTube, which kind of documented the process as far as like how he 
fixed it. And I really wish he he left the video up. It's a shame. Was was it was he forced to take it down or no? He... No, he just didn't. Uh, he just shut down his channel pretty much, oh, which is oh, that's it's a shame because he put out some really cool content. Yeah, it's it's really interesting the way that they did this because the the, the NES version sounds just so much more hollow. Yes, it when does. We're listening to it. It does. If you haven't heard the the Famicom soundtrack, mm -hmm. the NES soundtrack is really good. It like, is. Uh, it, it still feels good. It still feels good. It still is is upbeat and and sounds mm -hmm. appropriate. It, the Famicom soundtrack is just superior. There's so much more there. It oh, yeah. complete. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of the reverse with Castlevania Akamajo Densetsu, yep. which also uses in a, a, a memory like a memory chip to uh, enhance the audio, which is the BRC6. Right, that's the Konami chip. Right, and that is, I mean, there's multiple different Konami chips, but that one specifically was used for Akamajo Densetsu, and then when they brought it over to Castlevania 3, they definitely made it a lot more simplistic, but at the same time, it was. I think they did a better job of taking everything that that chip did with the BRC6 and kind of like sim simpling it. Like simplifying make, it. Simplifying making, it. Making it work on the NES hardware. No, yeah. I, I agree. The NES versions that, that, that you listen still to impressive. are very impressive. Yeah, yeah. And, and in some cases, they, they actually sound better, even yep. though there's less sort of power behind it. Right. Yeah, we did a whole episode on my previous podcast, Pixel Tunes Radio, so if you are interested, go check that out. So Masashi Kageyama really only composed a few games other than Mr. Gimmick. Outlive, or Outlive, I'm not sure, I think it's Outlive, in 1989, uh, Benki Gaiden in 1989, and Purumui, 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 and Purumui, Purumui, which is so hard to say, in 1999. <laughs> so, and then he just kind of, you know, disappeared into the ether. There's a really cool interview with him where he's talking about gimmick and talking about uh, some of his soundtracks, which is part of, I think it's called the Red Bull Studios. Mm. Um, they did a really cool video series on a bunch of video game composers, and it's really well done. It's a great documentary. Huh. Um, really flashy and really cool. It shows off a lot of like graphics mixed with like interviews and it's, it's I highly recommend it if you're looking for more information on Masa Masashi Kageyama so what's what's it called I believe it's called Red Bull Studios if you type in hmm. like Masashi Kageyama and Red Bull Studios Red Bull Studios you'll probably find it there so very cool yeah uh, I have to actually give that a give that a look yeah we'll post it on the, the Facebook group the, yeah the music is uh, the music of this game is really good and mm -hmm. to know that they they only did a handful of games cool so and tell me a little bit about this sound programmer the sound programming was done by Naohisa Morota and uh, Naohisa is a sound programmer that started off with uh, with Sunsoft. There are a number of audio credits to them, uh, starting doing the music in Shanghai in 1987, sound in Fantasy Zone in 1987 as well. Yeah, there was a uh, Sega game that got ported by Sunsoft to uh, the Famicom. Oh wow! Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, they did Fantasy Zone one and two. Yeah, they did. Um, they did sound effects for Fester's Quest, although they were uncredited. But moving on to more um, like music, they did music in Afterburner in 1989. That's the again the Famicom version of Afterburner 2. 2, right. Yep. And then they were music staff for Journey to Silius in 1990. Uh, and then from there they went on to be a sound programmer for pretty much everything else. Uh, there's Mr. Gimmick in 1992, Sunset Riders in 1993, um, one of the Goemon games, Goemon Boken Jidai Katsugeki in 2000. Bit of a jump from 1993 at Sunset Riders. Then throughout most of the, the early 2000s, or the 2000s themselves, mm -hmm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Battle Nexus in 2004, 
a couple of MLB games in 2007-2008, and uh, Jiko Powerful Pro Yahoo 15 in 2009 and 2008 and 2009. Right, right, right. Yeah, th- basically what happened was he jumped ship to Konami That's in right. 1993 to do Sunset, 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 Sunset Riders. Riders. Not Sunsoft Sunset. Riders. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. <laughs> Sunsoft Riders would have been like an awesome game that features the Hebereke uh, characters <laughs> from, from the other Sunsoft games. And maybe, and maybe gimmick. Yeah, and maybe gimmick too. That'd be awesome. And then, uh, and Totally it'd, be like, it'd be like Wave Rider. So instead of it being a kart racing game, it's like a like a skidoo racing game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a Wave Rider racer. It'd be like Sunsoft's version of Mario Kart, but on like skidoos. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That, that'd be Sunsoft. And the whole thing is just Sunsoft base, <laughs> like just various layers of base, like a blah blah blah, just all over the place. Now cool. I need this game to exist. Yeah, we got to figure this out. We got to reach out to uh, Masashi Kageyama. Okay, so let's move into our next track, which is Paradigm Stage 4.
welcome, welcome back. So that was Paradigm, stage four from Mr. Gimmick, done by the very awesome Masashi Kageyama. And now we hear the song start to get a little bit darker. Yeah. Um, Not anything super, super dark. I will say I feel like the music doesn't necessarily match what we see in the stage. I agree. Um, I agree. But definitely, like, we, we are approaching the the, the, <laughs> the the midway point of the of, of the game and getting to a point where the, the music is getting a little a little more intense I darkness darkness yes, yes. Me. it's it's pretty cool because this stage starts off where you're in like palm tree type area like more of a tropical area you end up riding this like pink dinosaur thing which is the animation is really impressive mm. the, there's multiple frames of animation that you wouldn't normally see, in my opinion, on, on an NES game when you see like the oh, head yeah, movement, the yeah. pivoting, yep. like that's really impressive. And then later on, you're going through like these sandy, like dune type areas, and you're on this like burge, like ostrich bird type. Thing. Oh, yep. And same thing, like the movement of the neck and the head and everything is all like really, really impressive stuff for the NES back in the day. I mean, even though it was '92, it was. Kind of the tail end of the NES's life cycle, which yeah. had been out since what, like '85 or something like that in the U.S. I think even earlier in Japan for the NES. The Famicom was out in like '83, '84, something like that, and then the U.S. release I think was '85, if I recall. Yeah, '86. So. so you know the the console had been out for almost 10 years at that point. So they really were starting to produce like some visually and audibly like stunning games. You mentioned the part with the bird, and I, I, it, it just reminded me of The Lion King on the SNES. There's okay. a stage where, where you're riding an ostrich. Okay. I mean, it's, it's not exactly the same, but mm. as you were describing that, that portion, yeah. and I, like, I've seen that part of the game, and mm. it's just weird weird things that link up in my head, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I would link it to Mario 2. There's a lot of oh, Mario 2 yeah. that I see in this game. That's fair. Just, like, the worlds and the enemies are all very similar, very wacky. Um, <laughs> so, but this stage is very long. Like, I didn't realize how long this stage was. You, you've got, you know, that tropical area, then yep. you've got the desert area, and then you kind of, like, go up these, like, rocks or whatever, and you're on the rocks, and then you have to fight one of the other. It's kind of like a mini-boss kind of yep. thing. There's, like, two mini-bosses that make up the boss, kind of, and then you fight another final boss at uh. the end, where it's just, like, level playing field, and you're fighting this thing that looks like it's right out of New Zealand story. It's like a little <laughs> bird, yellow bird-type guy. Hmm. And that's the final boss of, of Stage 4, so... Great track, great. I, I think it, it definitely has like a more like rumbly kind of feel yeah, to it, yep. you know, like grungy kind of rumbly. That's where it, where it gets a little bit of its darkness from. Yeah, and uh, we start darkness. Thinking. Sorry, I can't <laughs> think of. Want <laughs> to explain to the listeners what you're the? I I, I, I think it's from Chappelle <laughs> show. Uh, where he's playing as Prince and he's just like, Darkness! Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, okay. So, anyways, <laughs> let's get into the YM2149. Yes. Tell me about we, that. We were talking about the Yamaha chip earlier. So, the YM2149, also known as the AY 3 8910 General Instruments chip, YM2149 is easier to say. Yes, <laughs> much. It is a three channel PSG, which stands for Programmable Sound Generator, chip which was originally developed for use with 8-bit microcomputers, which the NES sort of is. Uh, less sort of, more actual. Well, yeah. I mean, microcomputer, like, you 
thinking more like home computers um, right. as opposed to you know a video game console, but console is, is backed up by a computer chip. Yeah. Um, either way, the the chip was later sold as a microchip and uh, and was licensed by Yamaha. And while it's no longer produced anymore, there are ways to get them for maintenance repairs and stuff like that. Right. If you have one of these chips and it's damaged or needs some kind of sprucing up, you can still get parts and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and things to fix it. But eventually, they will no longer exist for purchase as Yamaha has, has no plans to create any more. But hopefully a third party can step in and replicate the chip. Yeah, there's all sorts of third parties that usually step in for that. But for the time being, I don't think anybody really has stepped up to be able yeah. to replace these chips. So it kind of is what it is, unfortunately. I think that Yamaha produced a great sound chip that mm -hmm. is kind of an offshoot. So from what I understand, just to kind of break that information down, uh, the, the main chip that General Instruments created was the AY-3-8910, right. which is the three-channel PSG. And then what they did was uh, Yamaha bought the rights to use that chip, and then they made it a microchip, so right. a micro version of that full-size chip, right? Yeah. Correct. Okay. <laughs> Just making sure that I'm on the same page, so hopefully our listeners are on the same, on, on the same page. So the next track that we're going to listen to is Lionheart, which is stage five.
Have you ever wanted to superpower your toys so they can save you from danger? Have you ever wanted to be rescued thanks to the power of music? Well, now you can. Introducing Yumitaro. This little green blob with a unicorn horn is more than just a Kirby ripoff. By implanting the FME 7 chip into his body, you can save all the little girls you desire thanks to Death's Unsoft Base. Wait, no, that sounded weird. I mean, you can save all the little kids! Nope, nope, still so very wrong. Okay, here we go, here we go, I got it. Are you a little girl? Do you need saving from otherworldly cuteness monsters? I sure do, Mr. Man! You need Yume Taro, featuring Dat's Unsoft Base. Coming to all SB Toys and Dat Toys R Us in 1992. Kids, get your parents' permission when installing the FME7 Sunsoft 5B chip. Separate 5B chips not sold in stores. Ever! Welcome back. That was Lionheart Stage 5 from Mr. Gimmick. And what a driving song that was. I almost didn't notice the rest of the melody. I got so lost in that bass groove. Oh, that do 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 do. Yes. Yeah, actually, I'm going to be honest, that part doesn't really do anything for me, but it's the later part of the track when it kind of develops into this like full song that yep. it really kind of gets going. And it impressed me quite a bit. I really dig the kind of like twinkly melody, like yep, yeah. that, that's going throughout the track. That's actually what um what, what brought me to the rest of the track. Mm -hmm. Is I was like I said, I was sort of lost in that bass groove, and then I I started hearing some of the other stuff, like the do 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 Yeah, yeah. This stage is really cool. Again, graphically speaking, there's some really impressive things that you see. First off, it's probably the most Mega Man of all the stages yeah, as far as the yeah. design goes. You've got that. like a rock quarry type background and then you go underground and you know there's like um, pulleys and levers and you know, they're all really well animated and then you get the those little black blob guys. Yep. They now have spears. <laughs> so they're like throwing spears at you and stuff. It's really cool. And then you're got a going through like a, a section that's like uh, there's water on the bottom and you got to jump from platform to platforming looks more metallic yeah uh, le less well I mean there's rock in the background but. yep the jumping mechanics in this game though which we talked kind of touched on earlier are just so ridiculous I mean the farthest I've ever gotten in this game was stage 3 mm-hmm there's so many parts in this game where you have like little ramps that you can go on and depending on how good you are at throwing the star you can oh, yeah. ride the star down the down the ramp down the ramps you know, yeah the, the, the star lasts for quite a while yeah actually. as long as you're on the star it lasts okay. pretty much from what I understand so even even when you're, you're when you're not on it it, it like it lasts it, it sticks around on screen mm -hmm. if, uh, if, if you have walls to, to mm -hmm. keep it contained it sticks around for a good like five to ten seconds I feel. yeah yeah something like that and then it kind of fades away which makes quick recovery when it comes to attacking difficult so that's my only real gripe about mm. the game is I need to be able to throw that star pretty quick. Yes. And, um, in this game, you have to kind of plan out what you're doing a little bit more. Because you have to charge it up. Right, yeah. right. So the final boss in this stage is pretty cool. Uh, it's one of those little black lobby guys, mm -hmm. but they're in like a, a giant like tank thing above the stage. Yeah, and yeah. Kind of shooting down at you. Yep. And then there's like a spider boss, like a mechanical spider boss, which is really cool. Huh. Very well animated. It's it's really neat. The the black blob thing hanging out at the top of the stage and firing down at you reminds me a lot of 
I don't know why, because I don't think there were many many boss fights like this, but um, like Ro Robotnik in um, yep. in in some of the Sonic games. Some of the Sonic games, yeah, that makes sense. I think they kind of took inspiration from a lot of games mm. like Kirby, Mario, oh, yeah, Sonic. Yeah. I, I just feel like this is kind of like video games' greatest hits as far as platformers go. All right, so let's move into our next track. Keep it going, keep it flowing. This is Stage Six, Part Two. And it's Cadbury, that's the name of the track. Again, by Masashi Kageyama and programmed by Naohisa Morota. Thank you again for listening to XVGM Radio. That was Stage 6 Part 2, also Cadbury, also my favorite kind of cream egg <laughs> from one of Dat Sunsoft Bass's best games, Mr. Gimmick. Yes. What did you think about I... this cream egg of a song? 
<laughs> it is a cream egg. I, I devoured it up. It was delicious. It was Beautiful. tasty. It was so delicious. Yeah, no, it's a really great, like, hard rock track. Yes. You know, it's just got that, like, blues-oriented bass line, that do-do-do, do-do-do-do-do-do-do, you know, yep. just, like, really fun bass line. This track is kind of in between. It's, like, not quite as dark as the previous two tracks, I'd say, but this one is a lot more lighthearted in that hard rock vibe. Yeah. You've got those pianos. It's a great track. I was really enjoying it. It doesn't really fit with the level, I would no. say. <laughs> no, the ice level. Yeah. Uh, the ice then fortress. Right, yeah. You, yeah. You, you start off in the ice portion of the level and uh, you've got these those red panda guys kind of came back yep. and they're like zipping around reminds me a lot of those little snow guys from Mario, Mario 2, 2. Yeah, 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 yeah 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 so and then you go through this hole in the wall and it leads you to a castle and you're fighting those little guys but they have shields and swords like sword wands yeah. wand swords I don't yeah. know <laughs> um, and then you you kind of run into more of those like little blobby guys as well yep, and yep. Uh, yeah so everywhere <laughs> yeah so it's it's a pretty cool stage visually it's again very impressive the final boss in this level is very impressive at least regarding the animation he's a cloaked wizard guy uh, he's got the purple He's got like a purple robe on. It looks like more like a blanket than anything. Yeah, and then he throws it off. Yeah, yeah. And pulls then, a rapier out of nowhere. Yeah, well, he's got like a wand initially. And oh. Yeah, he's got like the wand and he's like cascading down bubbles. Yeah, and like yep. Then he kind of swims down towards you. It's not a swimming level, but for whatever reason, he's got bubbles. You know, I figure why have... Why not have bubbles if you if you, if you you don't yeah. need them, you know? Everybody loves bubbles. Yeah, everybody. There's a bubble... Bubble-tastic episode. Bubblicious. Bubblicious. That's that's what his name should be. Bubblicious the, <laughs> the wizard bee. The wizard bee. <laughs> uh. So, yeah, great song, and the level's really cool. Again, lots of really cool visuals in the level. Very impressive, yes. again. So. so, Sunsoft does an interesting thing with with their, their sounds to, to get them to happen or to work the way that they do. Um, the sound pitches are up to 16 different levels. Specifically on the Datsunsoft bass. Right, right. right. On, on, the, on the bass notes, or, or the bass track, if you will, there are, there are 16 different levels, with each one slowing down the sample. So that it's basically they, they sampled a, a, a note like a, a bass note, mm. and then they pitch it down to get the other notes. Like, there, mm. there's more than that. So the, the notes aren't arranged chromatically. When you take the, the note that you're that you're modifying and you pitch it down, it doesn't pitch down an octave mm. or, or anything. It, it pitches down in a very achromatic way. So, like, a C won't turn into a C. Like, the C will turn into a G, which will then turn into, like, a B or something, right. something else. Uh, and every time you go down, it's slow. Like, the actual... Note is slowed down a bit, mm. and but it, but it changed the it changes the tonality it's of like the bomb bomb uh, yeah bah, bah. exactly right, right so right. like what would have been like a one second note uh, at the lower levels might be like a two or three second note mm. so it's, it's they're literally just changing the way that the that the sound is being processed in mm. the system um, but so they they have samples of I think about five or six different notes so that they can actually hit every note um, right depending what they, what they're gonna pitch change they they might change pitch change this note. To to get that note. Basically um, pitching them down as needed. Exactly. Right, right. Very cool. <clears throat> but it also creates gaps in the sound. Um, yeah. So Sunsoft 
fixes that by by, by putting the those five. That, that's what it is. Not six. It's five different samples mm-hmm. that they use to pitch them down as needed. So that this way there are no gaps. And right. They have right. All of the notes and samples they need to play. That way, Dat Sunsoft baseline stays intact. Yes. For all humans to enjoy. Forever and ever. Forever and ever. Speaking of forever and ever, we have another call coming in. Oh, hey. Yeah. Let's get that. Hi, I'm the little girl from the game, Mr. Gimmick. Oh, hi. Your parents know you're calling? I want to hear a song from the end of the game so I can be rescued. Okay, sure. What do you want to hear? I want to hear. Stage 7, Sophia, take 2. Alright, well let's hit it. Stage 7, Sophia, take 2 by Masashi Kageyama and again, sound programmer Naohisa Morota. Let's do it. Welcome back to this Mr. Gimmick Spotlight. Spectacle. Spectacle. Uh, spectacle Spotlight. Yes. That was Stage 7, also known as Sophia Take 2, by Masashi Kageyame and programmed by Naohisa Morota. 
So, to clarify, this is the secret stage that you find in the game if you get all the magic pieces. Right. So, you go through and you find those, then you end up at a level like this, and it's basically like a, I don't know, like a mix between a tropical paradise and a castle. I don't mm. know, it's it's weird. The music doesn't really fit with what you're seeing. It's, yeah, it's much yeah. more like thought-provoking. Yeah. More emotional. It's more like, what did you do to get here? And who did you piss off to, <laughs> to to make this happen? How dare you get purchased and make the little girl love you more than the other toys? Right? God. You It's all Yumitaro's fault. Honestly. But yeah, no, I, I agree that the, the music and the level are a very interesting combination because they're not what I would have normally put together. Yeah. I think you were saying at one point that the the you expect like a, a final level to be like a little bit more frantic when the music's involved. So yeah. like uh the the original Mario series, the level four Part or whatever four. Oh yeah, whatever world was always yeah. like the castle was always da 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 Yeah, it's always like really frantic and crazy and you don't have that here. I mean you add that with the final boss stage, which we'll listen to next, but you know, for a for a final stage it kinda reminds me of like Castlevania two Simon's Quest when you finally get to the castle and you're descending down to get to Dracula, and you've got this like dun 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 dun. This is like very chill waltz that kind of happens, and it's kind of the same thing here. You're you're going through this final stage, and it feels kind of empty yeah. in, in a lot of ways. It's it's not as full and rich looking as the others. It's like a flat bl- bluish, like sky blue background with some platforms kind of here and there spread out. Um, there's some really cool moments where you get into the castle when you fight the final boss and. The background there is very impressive visually, yeah, yep. but it's it's just weird because you go from <laughs> this like really crazy visually and audibly impressive game to this more like thought provoking, you know, what have I done with my life? <laughs> like in- inspirational track. Yep, yep. So it's weird. What have I done with my life? What have I done with my life, Yume Taro? Uh, the Mr. Gimmick story. The Mr. Gimmick story, yes. <laughs> That's his memoirs right there. It's his Lifetime Movie Channel movie. That's right, that's right. So now we're going to listen to the final boss theme, which is broken up into two different parts. The first part is Nothing to Lose, part one. And the second part is Long Tomorrow.
Welcome back. That was two songs put together. The final boss song from Mr. Gimmick, Nothing to Lose, Final Boss Part 1, followed up by Long Tomorrow, Final Boss Part 2. Yeah, we wanted to combine the two just because that part one is so short, so we just it made more sense to put everything together in one loop. Right, right. And, and Part 2 isn't super, super long either, so put, no. putting them together made, uh, made the most sense to yeah. get the entirety of that final boss track. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> I think that first part is super repetitive and it's very short yes. and it's very dark and gruesome. But then that second part kind of livens it up a little bit more, kind of in more in line with the original like boss battle track. Yep. Yeah, I agree. The first part kind of sets the mood as you know the the the, the final boss. You're, yeah. you're you might die. It's you know it's almost over. And then part two, like you said, yeah, it livens it up a little bit, but it it also brings. Almost like an air of hope to the uh, to the song. It's like the final boss. Do, 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 do. <laughs> it's the final boss. You'll die. It's the final boss. You can do it. <laughs> yes. And then the final boss part two kind of comes in and kind of livens things up a little bit. So right. um, I dig the, I dig both tracks. I just think that the, again, it's it's weird because the whole soundtrack is so happy go lucky for the mm-hmm. most part. Then you start getting these really dark songs and it kind of goes back and forth between that, uh, you know, with the stage, the Sophia uh, track uh, that we heard previously. It's just just such a weird track to come off of, but I guess it fits. I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So the MMC chip that we kind of touched on a little earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, these MMC chips are different kinds of special chips that are designed by uh, various different video game developers to use in Nintendo cartridges. So these chips extend how the original console release could make it so that you can make NES games that feature like the content that's in the original game that was mm. released for the Famicom right. that console the, the NES cannot offer by itself. So the NES has the capability to read mappers, which that's what these are called. Right. But it, it doesn't have the capabilities to read like the enhanced like audio chips. Right. Um, so you can't have the extra channels. And right. Stuff. There are ways to manipulate the NES to be able to do it. But it like if you you know buy an NES and and open it up and try to you got to mess it around with it in order to do it so it's not like perfect right if right. you wanted to throw like a Famicom gimmick cart in there so <laughs> um, but if you play the Scandinavian cart version in an NES you'd have to obviously play like a PAL NES in order right. to, to play it yeah. so there's repros that exist but unfortunately they have to use a donor cart. Right, and um, Batman Return of the Joker is, uh, is often used as a donor cart for reproductions to be created for gimmicks specifically um, yeah. because of the, the chip and everything, which has caused a rise in cost for that cart. Hmm. So Batman Return of the Joker is not a particularly cheap game to buy, right. whether you want the game or you want it as a donor cart. The mm-hmm. donor carts have made it a little bit harder to get a, get a hold of, and that game did not have a large print run to begin with, so the price is just sort of through the roof. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I believe that last I checked that game was going for probably about like 60 bucks or something like that wow but I mean I bought the cart for like 10 bucks way back in the day like it's a good Batman game and it's a great Sunsoft title and it is again another game that's worthy of showcasing Death's Unsoft base Mm -hmm. but it's a real shame that people are gutting this copy of uh, Batman Return of the Joker in order to make gimmick repros there are ways that you can get around it though Hmm. which is nice so I believe the cart that I have the repro cart does not use Batman 
in Return of the Joker oh, as a donor okay. cart. So there's ways to get around doing it, but like the easiest way to do it if it's you just want to yeah. like wipe the EEPROM is to, to is grab that to, game. Is to grab that game. Hmm. Yeah, because it has the MMC5 chip in it. So. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's unfortunate. Yeah, very. It's uh, and it's a shame that this game was not played by very many people because it's a really fantastic game. Yeah, that's so, yeah, really cute. One of the <laughs> one of the greatest NES games ever made. So, so let's wrap it up. We're gonna play two more tracks for you. The first track that we're gonna listen to next coming up is Identity Believer, also known as Boss Battle Two. This is a great track. Let's yes. hit it. was Identity Believer, also known as Boss Battle 2, and that track made me a believer in this game. <laughs> now, that, that track was, was a lot of fun. It, that again, game took my identity away. Uh, 
But uh, I mean, every, every one of these tracks has been very unique and, and been very good, but this one feels just unique in a, in a totally different way. I feel like this could have been a song out of like an 80s movie. There were, there were like the, the orchestral hits and other qualities about this mm. the song makes me sort of think of like an 80s action movie. Okay. Um, I which, could see that. Which was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. No, I could totally see that. Especially with those synth hits, like yep. the dun dun. Exactly. Uh, this was a great dancey, fun, bouncy yes. number. It's just, it's a lot of fun to listen to, and it definitely is a great boss battle track as well. So this plays on like some of the later stage bosses, mm-hmm. as far as the battles go. So, no, I was, I was really digging this track. It's fantastic stuff. So that kind of closes out our episode for the most part. Uh, we are going to go on an outro track in a sec, but you know, as as we were talking about before, it's it's a real shame that Mr. Gimmick uh, did not make its way, even like an altered version of it, to North America. So while we didn't get it in any official version, uh, it was all it was actually re-released on the PlayStation One in a compilation, like a Sunsoft compilation mm-hmm. disc. So, now again, we didn't get that, so we never got an official release of Mr. Gimmick any way, shape, or form. Right. But there are there are, there are ways to get it. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, there's you, you can get a repro cart with a modified version of it. Hopefully not with gutting yeah. Yeah. Batman Return <laughs> of the Joker. Yes. Fingers crossed on that one. But, yeah, there are versions uh, and ways to get it. And that PlayStation game that we talked about, the Sunsoft Memorial Collection Volume 6, came with Sp- Super Spy Hunter, mm. and that also made its way to the PlayStation Network in Japan. So if you have a Japanese account for the PlayStation 3, I believe it is, you can download hmm. the collection of games. So that is that's pretty cool. Also a thing that you can do. So if you wanted to get a actual disc version of Mr. Gimmick, which is the Sony PlayStation 1 version which comes with Super Spy Hunter, and that is like the legit Famicom version. So, you know, if you didn't want to go with the repro route and be mm-hmm. missing some of the sound channels, you can also go this route. This will cost you $389 according to eBay. Oh boy. Yeah, and that is a brand new version of that game. I could what, not like find unopened? it loose. Yeah, that's unopened. <laughs> so I could not find a loose copy anywhere. So Good really Lord. hard to find. A lot of those like collection type games that Sunsoft and Capcom put out are a little bit more obscure. They're uh, kind of hard to find. So that's true. If you did get a hold of that, PlayStation 1 region locked, right? You can't play that. You need, you need a yes. special... Yes, you would need either a PlayStation 1, a Japanese PlayStation yep. 1, or you would need a... PS3 is not region locked, so I wonder if you could pop it, because PS3 will play PS1 discs. Yeah, I know. I don't think you can, though. Damn. Yeah, unfortunately. I think there's something in there that locks it out, but... <sighs> Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong about that. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. So g- Gimmick initially was kind of sidelined because the Super NES and, this, and the Genesis were out. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, they had a lot of difficulty finding a publisher for the game. I'm not sure if so they didn't Japan. publish it yeah. on their own. I guess there was talk about coming out with the game in the U.S., but um, like there were plans for it to be released in the second half of 92. Yeah. However, those plans were scrapped. The former vice president of Sunsoft of America, his name is David Siller, and this is according, according to Gimmick's Wikipedia page, uh, basically said that the company's managers felt that the game's characters were quote-unquote too strange or quirky, hmm. and they compared it with Walt Disney and Warner Brothers. So... 
oh. they kind of aligned it with that, which is weird because Sunsoft also made a bunch of Looney Tunes games. Yeah, so, so maybe, Super maybe there's something to be said there. Maybe they came around to it. Um, another game which, coincidentally enough, featured some of those Hebereke characters that we talked yes. about a little earlier, Euphoria the Saga, which was like a non-linear, kind of like Metroid, pre-Metroidvania like yeah, yeah. game, also had that same fate. So yep. some of Sunsoft's best titles did not come, make it over here. However, that game did get a European release as well. Uh, so I you actually own the European card. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's a fun game. Yeah, that is pretty cool. So that's Mr. Gimmick. We want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening to this wonderful episode where we featured a discussion on the FME 7 chip as well as that Yamaha YM2149 that Justin and I broke down for you. Uh, we want to know what your thoughts are on this episode, what you thought were the best tracks for the music featured in this game. Check us out at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash xvgmradio and you can let us know what you think. Speaking of what we think, what did you think? What's your favorite track? Ooh, well, gotcha. okay. <laughs> I will say that... My favorite track is the outro track that we're going to go out with. That's fair. So, yes. yeah, it's hard to hard to talk about something that people haven't heard yet. That's true. It's called <laughs> Strange Memories of Death, and this is an unused track. It is in the sound selection. So, if you unlock the sound selection, you go through, you will find this song. They wrote it, I don't know what they were planning on using it for, probably for my funeral. Yeah. Uh, you know, Strange yeah. Memories of Death. It, it is a phenomenal track. This is like one of my favorite video game music songs of all time yeah it is 80s it's new wave uh, it's it's new it's new jack swing it's just there's so much stuff crammed in this it's heavy it's awesome it's squeedly meadly it's that's on soft bass it's everything it's mike levy the track that's fair yes that's fair. so that is my pick but if we're gonna talk about the tracks that we listened to already i'm gonna say the boss theme which boss theme? The first boss theme. I think that's the one that's like... Oh, That one. So, yeah, you're talking about the first one that we played, Aporia. Aporia, boss theme one. Yes. yes. I loved that track. I've always loved that track. That and the outro track that we're going to go out with are my two favorite gimmick tracks. So. That's fair. Yeah. That's what fair. about you? I have to go with the one that we just played. Ident- Identity Believer was was a lot of fun. Okay. With everything that's in Strange Memories of Death, mm-hmm. it was probably like a... Com- I feel like maybe it was a compilation of all the different styles that they tried to put in here, mm. uh, but I really liked the 80s feel of, uh, of Identity Believer. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. I think with Strange Memories of Death, they kind of... It, it, maybe this was supposed to be like an end track mm, that they maybe. were they, they wrote for the game to kind of close it out but it's just so upbeat and so <laughs> crazy fast that I think they wrote it and they were like this is so good we don't know what to do with it we'll just put it on the soundtrack and yeah. so That's yeah fair. so uh, and then check out XVGM Radio for all our website details so you can check out every single episode as well as iTunes we are on iTunes and Stitcher and all the pod catchers but if you are on iTunes and give us a review and give us a rating that would really be great because that will spread the word about XVGM Radio right now if you look up VGM you will not see XVGM Radio so we Hmm. want to change that and getting out there with your review and your rating will really help tell us honestly what you think what you think of the other episode let us know in the comments. Definitely. And if you are on Twitter or Instagram, you can find us on those sites. We are at XVGM Radio. That's right. 
one more thing we should do before we go is thank our Patreon subscribers. Yes. So if you are not yet a member and are interested in helping us out in any way, you can find us at patreon.com slash xvgmradio. Yep. Uh, and even just a dollar will get you a mention at the end of the show. So we'd like to thank those patrons through Patreon. They are Alex Messenger, Cameron Worma, Chris Murray, Chris Myers, and Scott McElhone. Yes. Those are our patrons. We want to thank each and every one of them and make sure that you check out that Patreon because there's lots of really cool rewards that I think you guys will really dig. So uh, go check that out. But while you're checking that out, take a listen to our final track, Mm -hmm. which is Outro, Strange Memories of Death Unused. Episode 9 will be coming out in the near future. It's going to be a memorial episode. Yes. Uh, it is in memory and celebration of the composer Ryu Umimoto, a PC-98 FM Towns composer. He did some work on the PC engine. This is going to be an episode of phenomenal music. He's like the PC version yes. of Yuzo Koshiro. Very, so. very awesome stuff yeah. that we're going to hear. Really good stuff. So, yeah, check out that in two weeks but until then you can just play this track over and over again strange memories of death unused i'm mike and i'm justin and this is xvgm radio signing out good night
Do you remember like Zelda, the first Zelda game? Yeah. The the Wizard Bees. The Wizrobes? The Wizard Bees. Wizard Bees? Yeah. That's what aren't they called Wizard Bees? I think you might be talking about Wizrobes. Wizrobes? Are they really called Wizrobes? Have I been pronouncing that wrong this whole time? W I Z Z R O B E S Wizrobes. Oh my god. I always called them wizard bees. <laughs> when I was a little kid, I called them wizard bees. And That's fair. Keep... You also, but you you also called other things the wrong thing when you were when you were a kid. Like, didn't you call Aganim from? Um... Yeah, yeah, we, Agen, we... Agen, uh, Agenheim. Yeah. <laughs> I'm noticing a pattern here. I just, I don't, I don't know. Stuff is hard. Life is when hard. You, when you're a kid, you don't reading, you don't know words. Reading is hard. I have the first. I still have my first NES. Zelda manual is one of the very few things that I kept from when I was a kid. I have the mm. Zelda manual, Batman, Ninja Gaiden 2, a, a couple. Yeah. And in the Zelda manual, when you flip through my copy of it, I checkmarked off the the bad guys that I beat, mm. and I X'd through the ones that I couldn't beat. And the, the Wizard Bees were the ones I couldn't beat. So I'm going to keep calling Wizard Bees. I mean, Screw it. You said the same thing about Agenheim. Listen, I, I've, made, I've made it this long in my life calling them Wizard Bees... Everybody yeah. that you talk to about Zelda must be so confused. They're just like, uh-huh, yeah. The wizard <laughs> yeah, bees. Yeah, the wizard bees. Uh, yep. yep, yep. And they're just like, cuckoo, <laughs> cuckoo. So yeah, wizard bees. So yeah, this guy looks like a wizard bee. 